night. We're filling in for the Lee Brothers today. Me, Norm Leahy, and joined by my, my friend Paul Goldman. Uh, Scott, if you follow Scott on Facebook, he posted a picture of him uh, getting on an airplane and who was flying on the plane with him, Senator Tim King. That's good. That's good. You know you know Tim King. Yeah. I know Scott. You know Scott. <laughs> so hopefully they I have... Can t- I can tell the difference, I think. You think you can tell the difference? I don't know. It's close. You can pick him out of a lineup. I probably when they get arrested, they'll call me. They'll, they'll, they will call you. But yeah, so Scott is uh, flying across the country, meeting important people, and hopefully... You know, surviving on the peanuts or whatever it is they serve on airplanes nowadays. I don't know. Besides anger. Dollar a peanut. Dollar a peanut. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> That's the last thing we need. Um, yeah, we're coming in for a crash landing, by the way. It's five bucks for the oxygen mask. Uh, I want I think you could probably get a little more at that point. Five fifty. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah they put it to a, a Dutch auction. We're going to start at $3,000. Go. You start at 20,000 feet. You got to 5,000 feet to right. get some air. Right, okay. Let's... Uh, Let's uh, dive into the politics of this stuff right away. By the way, folks, if you want to talk to us, we're going to be talking a lot of political stuff today, and it's probably not the usual stuff you've heard on the radio. Um, Please join us. The number is 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. I want to dive into one of the uh, more immediate political stories, and that's the 5th District Republican Committee, which which gathers tomorrow morning. And to choose a new nominee, because the current incumbent, uh, Tom Garrett, has decided he's not running for re-election after a series of very weird press conferences, a very bad political Politico story that came out and said he was uh, misusing the staff. And then he comes out uh, on Memorial Day saying, I'm not going to run. I'm struggling with alcoholism, et cetera, et cetera. So now Republicans scrambling for somebody. A whole nest of people have jumped in. The most recent and probably the biggest name, at least for those of us who follow state politics, is uh, Senator Bill Stanley from down in Franklin. Uh, what do you think of that? Just for, as uh, for what's your outside perspective on that, Paul? Well, I think first I should just say, for full disclosure, um, Stanley appointed me um, uh, special counsel to one of the committees he heads in the gen- in General Assembly, so um, or state senate. So. Uh, just so you know that, but but I believe uh, I can be uh, my usual sort of objective yourself uh, self on uh, <laughs> on this, and um, it is a curious situation. There were various people in the district that I thought might have run, and I'm not uh, Jill Vogel. Yeah, I was told I was in the district. She. Uh, um, Used to work in the uh, wasn't she counseled like the RNC or at least deputy counsel and something she was like she was a deputy in the you know in the government one of the Bush Energy Department or something. Now granted they got they got more uh, more uh, deputies than uh, <laughs> and and but she had some Washington connections so you go yeah. back to Washington. Apparently not interested. Senator Reeves was interested. Right, but he would uh, he would have he doesn't live in the district. He yeah, I mean he in. basically has to drive all day to get to the district. So um <laughs> you know, uh, he was gracious enough to pull out. Right. Uh there's a couple of uh, legislators in the district, you know, the general assembly people. They didn't really get a push. It's all non-elected officials, which is somewhat unusual when you have these kinds of special elections. Normally the party and everybody goes to somebody that's been uh, 
elected. You don't want to take a rookie because you don't know what you got. You want to go with someone who at least understands the politics. Right, right. And so Stanley would seem to me to be the favorite. But a, and and I know him. He's a terrific guy, and he'd be a strong. Can he be start off as a strong favorite? That district is really geared for somebody like Stanley. Yeah. Um, but according to what press reports and stuff, he's there's some resistance on the committee. I don't know who else they'd be going for. Um, well, there's a lot of uh, rumors because officially nobody knows what the vote is. The vote isn't until tomorrow. And there are only 37 people that will be voting. This is not a primary. Right. It's not a mass meeting, anything like that. It's a committee decision. And so people are angling for votes on the committee. And maybe because he got in a little bit late and he put a curious spin on his announcement. He's saying, I'm making myself available. Not that I'm running, but it's that struck me as, well, dude, say you're in or you're out. Don't say I'm making myself available. That's That's got sort of... I, I don't lady of the evening uh, quality to it. And maybe he didn't want to come on too strong. I can understand that too. But there's other people like Denver Riggleman who briefly ran for uh, the GOP Republican nomination for governor in 2017. He got in very early. Uh, Martha Bonita, who's a well-known activist on the right, uh, she got in too. And they, you know, they have that first adopter advantage. You're That's out true. there and you get, you get, People lining up for you. You're absolutely right. Being first into a race generally helps people, particularly when it's close to what Henry Howell used to call anointment and appointment. I mean, <laughs> only 37 people deciding who would be the favorite in the congressional race. Very unusual. The last time I can remember something like this happening, read about it, was when John Warner, when they nominated Obenshain for, for the Senate, and uh, 1978, and he died in a praying praying crash in like August, and they had to convene the state committee. Yeah, and they picked uh, John John Warner. So rare event. But when you look at the district, the district itself is really a South Side district. It's added Charlottesville and yeah. Fork here and Album. It's added stuff over the years. It used right. to be straight South Side in the old days. It's still primarily a South Side district, which would seem to be right up Stanley's alley. Yeah, it's still, actually, if you look at it, it looks sort of like the African nation of Cameroon a little <laughs> bit. So everybody go look at that on the map and you say, oh, wow, hey, these guys knew what they were doing. I'm waiting for the district. But when that, you take your geography test, you don't put it in the 5th District of uh, Virginia. It depends get, on how parochial you are. <laughs> but it, you're exactly right. It is a rural district, largely. And that creates sort of zones of influence for people. And I think you're right that Stanley, because of he's in the, in the South side representing the folks there in the Senate, he should have some sort of advantage. I think his biggest advantage would be that he could probably raise a lot of money very quickly, which is what they're going to need. Um, uh, and, in, and, especially and, now. Right. Their, their opponent, uh, Leslie Cockburn family has a lot of money, how much they're willing to spend. We don't know. But I would think likely one of the best should be one of the best funded challenge democratic challenges in the country. Um, normally, it's probably hard to raise a lot of money for a, that particular district. Mm -hmm. Never really been on anybody's radar. Yeah. Now they had had a tr they had had some trouble keeping people in Congress. Yes, 
I mean, Virgil Gould went up there and basically lost his mind. And, <laughs> and um, right, I mean, he went up there, and I know Virgil for years, is, you know, a conservative, uh, anyway, Democrat, independent, Republican. Then he jumped out to run for president with the Constitutional, the Constitutional Party. Part, yeah. He just went off the charts on the immigration issue and then hurt. Apparently, he got, he, he just couldn't take it. He, he got tired of it. He got of the toxic environment. And, now we had Garrett, with his who, problems, who had his problems, perhaps caused by the toxic environment. So now you got the fourth Republican in a fairly sh looking for in a fairly short period of time. I bet there's no other district like it in the country. Probably not, certainly in Virginia. But you know, we've got to. Uh, gosh, we've already got to our go to our first break here, quick. But I, I do want to come back to this because this is sort of like the story du jour here. Not that there isn't a lot else going on, because there is. But uh, anyway. This is Norm Leahy, uh, along with Paul Goldman, uh, my good friend here, filling in for the Lee Brothers here on AM 820 and FM 97.7 WNTW. We'll be back right after this. Want to help Richard prove Scott's wrong once and for all? Call the Lee Brothers at 454-1366. 454 1366 My daddy served in the army. Yeah, well, actually, my dad did serve in the army. Didn't your dad, too? Yes, he did. Yeah, didn't he? You told me that he my was... Uncle, my uncle was at uh, D-Day. Yep. Yeah. My, uh, my dad spent time in the jungles of Panama during the coup back wow. in the good old days. <laughs> anyway, uh, Norm Leahy, Paul Goldman here sitting in for the Lee brothers uh, here on a sultry Friday afternoon. And we hope you would join our conversation here. Our number here is 804-454-1366, 804-454-1366. We're particularly interested if you happen to be a resident of the 5th District of the Commonwealth of Virginia and have you a particular candidate that you think should be chosen tomorrow morning by the district committee, please let us know. This is your chance to let the committee members know what you think, because Lord knows everybody else is letting them know <laughs> who should be chosen. I want to get back into this, because you showed me something before we went on, on the air. You have purchased Leslie Cockburn, the Democrat nominee. Yeah. Uh, you purchased her book. I mean, I actually paid her, $13 for this. Now, I really? searched... I mean, I read a lot, so a lot of Amazon, a lot of iBooks, yeah. Barnes & Noble. I don't normally buy the books themselves, but I could find this in electronic form. And so I had a, uh, you know, this is what I could find. I wanted fast delivery. and um, So you, you know, picked it up. And well, that's that's the controversial book this that, is, yeah. that uh, people, the Republican Party of Virginia in particular, have made hay over saying, it proves that she's an anti-Semite. Now, I know you just got it, and you've just gotten started. Right, you know, and, and I can already see some things that you, if you would think you were running for office, it, you wouldn't write. But she wrote this, what, 20 1991, plus I believe her husband is the editor of some big uh, newspaper, uh, The Nation, some, one of the big magazines. Isn't that her brother-in-law? Close Alexander? Enough. Uh, is, that, is that a brother-in-law? Is that a husband? I think that's Alexander Cockburn. Well, this is Andrew and Leslie. Anyway, I have a feeling that because he's really the one that sort of pushes the envelope on the on all questions Israel. Yeah, he may very well have sort of pushed this book and been more been more on it. So there's a few things in here that I would not have wanted to have my name on <laughs> because of the way politics is. It's maybe a, what a th 
over 300 page book, but there's only right. like 20 words that are ever going to matter politically. Well, yeah, yeah, but isn't that the thing? If if the word of caution, then write your book, but realize that if you ever decide to run for office, anything you write will can and will be used against you in a, a political campaign. So if you're thinking about it, use a, uh, what do they call it? You know, kind of a ghost writer, not your name, numb the plume. Right. <laughs> and anyway, as soon as you want to run, the first thing you have to say, now some of you may actually hear about a book whose <laughs> author has the same name as I have. That's now, not I got, me. I got to tell you something. This is not me. My typewriter was hacked. That was not me. You know, one of one of the funniest stories that, that, that I've heard in, is that they claim in the 1952 primary down in Florida, George Smathers was running. Um, and, of course, Florida was a quite a bit different state back in 1952. We had more alligators than people. And so he was running against somebody from... Yeah, it was a Democratic primary because basically a one-party state. And it was running against somebody seen as a more liberal in those days, a more liberal person. Was that Claude Pepper? It could have been Claude Pepper. I don't know. Well, anyway, he apparently went around in the rural areas and said, I want to tell you something about my opponent. He has a sister who's a thespian in New York. <laughs> and, of course... Apparently, nobody really knew the difference in rural Florida between a thespian and a lesbian. Yeah. And so... Well, they may not yet. Still may not. You never know. So the point is, politics can be a really nasty business, and they'll just take one little word... Right. One and word. tattoo you. you. You could get the Pulitzer Prize, but if there's one word that you got wrong... You're out of luck. That's the one that's going to be that's in every single ad TV run against ad. you. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think it um, it's a, it's a convenient. Everybody sort of vaguely knows what an anti-Semite is, but if you say that Joe, oh, she's anti-Zionist, well, then what does that mean? Uh, you're against Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Zion, well, we got Zion Crossroads here in Virginia. You don't like that place. You don't like that place. I should have figured that much. Yeah, you're not you, from here. Come on, man. <laughs> How can you not like that place? It's awesome. But so that that's one problem she's got. But she's also extraordinarily progressive. She's very progressive. That district, the fifth district, has had one sort of kind of profess, uh, progressive representative. Periello. That was Tom Periello for one term. And, and you know, she's, he at least could, the argument, I guess, going to be that she just kind of parachuted here to sell her books, you know. And, and so she has that connection. Stanley, I would say the way to run the campaign is if I was Stanley, I'd make her the issue right off the bat. And um, just run against her. Because I think she moved here with her husband, what, in 1999? Well, whatever it is, she's not connected. She's not been involved. Because she wrote a Vanity Fair piece saying, oh, we're going to go to the south part of the district, you know, down to Danville. Right. And neither of them realized how far away it was from where they lived. And I think that's quite telling. If you want to run for Congress, before you announce, take a tour of the district because you're going to be spending a lot of time going all over. She's it. not a real pal. See, a real pal knows how to answer those questions. They had so much experience. They're yeah. not going to get caught up with something like that. Well, there's so much more to talk about there. Uh, we haven't even got to the real fun part yet, but this is uh, Norm Lee and Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee brothers. 
here on uh, WNTW, and we will be back right after this. The Lee Brothers, showing off the First Amendment and using the second only when necessary. On AMA 20, 97.7 FM, The Answer. We built this city. Well, we built some cities. We're going to talk about cities and buildings here uh, later in the show. Uh, This is normally, along with Paul Goldman, filling in for the Lee Brothers here on... uh, AM and FM WNTW. Paul, well, let's uh, let's. I want to wrap up. We spent the first half hour on the fifth district. The real uh, sort of I don't know sizzle in this story is Cynthia Dunbar has is apparently being talked about as a potential candidate. You mean Cynthia, the person who ran in the sixth and lost. The, the person who ran for the Republican congressional nomination in the sixth district and lost uh, now may be put forward tomorrow as a candidate in the fifth. She's uh, only got nine more to go, and she'll cover the whole state. Yeah, I know, but doesn't what kind of person does it take? And you've been around politicians a long time. That's true, but I don't want to admit that. I, but well, you wash, so that's you good. Outed me. You, you, you know, the delousing station is just down the All hall. Right, okay, but but okay. can you recall of anybody who ran for two nominations in two weeks? No. <laughs> I, mean, I just did, and uh, more power to her. But uh, she's somewhat making a fool of herself. Well, and this doesn't even count the time that she ran for Congress in Texas, right. I think about 10 years ago, and pulled 4% of the vote well, in a primary. Uh, you know, she's, she got a little bit more in the six. There's getting less here. <laughs> she's struggling in the single districts. And um, I'm sure I mean, she keeps going. I understand they need some people in Alaska. They got some Congress <laughs> stuff up there. and uh, um, Keep an well, eye on things. I mean, it's a good thing. Get a view of Russia, you know. You can wave at them from Nome. All right. Norm Lay and Paul Goldman, we've got to uh, break off for, I guess it's the news now. And we'll be back on the other side of the news. Talk to you soon. Someone sold the stage. version of the Federalist Papers without all that reading. It's the Lee Brothers on WNTW AM 820 97.7 FM. All right, this is Norm Leahy and Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee Brothers here on AM and FM WNTW. We'd uh, enjoy it if you would join the conversation here 804-454-1366. Again, I'm very curious if anybody listening lives in the 5th District near the 5th District of Virginia who has a preference for who the Republicans choose as their candidate tomorrow because they are voting in the morning um, to replace Tom Garrett on the ballot. But I want to switch gears and something a little bit closer to home, the 7th District, where Dave Brad is the current incumbent. And Mr. Bratt, uh, the, the Democrats have their primary on June 12th. We're still a few days out from that. Both Democrats are running ads. I have seen those ads. They're very well done. Um, Mr. Ward highlighting his experience as a in the military. Spanberger talking more of uh, issues. I care. I'm, this is why I'm prompted to run sort of soft introductory issues. Bratt, however, from everything that I've seen, generic polls, whatnot, show that he's in trouble. How do you read that district? Well, Bratt got 58 to 60. That's sort of where you'd think he was. Northam did pretty good there, actually, against... Uh, against Gillespie. Um, looking at the numbers, I would think Brad should have started off pretty good at 54, 55, 56, figuring the Dems got a little bit going for him. 
But I think he might be down to 53. I think Brad, and that the only thing, he's lost a lot of support in the suburban areas. I mean, he carried all the jurisdictions last time, but he barely carried Henrico. He's going to lose Henrico. Yeah, I think so. He's going to lose Henrico. question is how big. Um, he's got a part of Chesterfield that Trump carried. Um, he did well there. Uh, but I think, that, again, among suburban women and suburban voters, that's a, that's a problem. He could lose both of the suburban areas. However, even though the suburban areas have the majority of the population and the majority of the vote, in politics, when you analyze by jurisdiction, it's not how many votes you got, you get. It's your net margin. Yes. So you can have, you know, Henrico can have 10 times more votes than Orange County, but Orange County, you could come out with a net margin that overcomes the net margin as of Henrico because right. they'll vote three to one Republican. The key to Brad's success, even though he's more of a suburban kind of guy, I mean, you never, you'd never think he was a, a, a rural guy, is those rural districts, the smaller rural districts, you know, Spotsylvania too. They look like they're holding for the Republicans. But if there's any slippage there, the brat may really have to scramble to survive. It strikes me that uh, Democrats, well, uh, Mr. Ward uh, does say that he's from the rural part of the district and that he can talk to those people and he would be the more effective nominee because of that. I'm not necessarily sure that matters because the issues that he's talking about are standard democratic issues, universal health care. You got to get past the primary. Right. And, and I think he's the underdog. I don't think there's any question about it. Well, and Abigail Spamberger has been racking up endorsements left, right, and center uh, among democratic elected types, uh, committee types. I think LeVar Stoney endorsed her for what that matters. Um, but so she's really working the interior counties but the rural stuff, not so much. And because I looked at those margins that Brad had out in, you know, Page and Orange and elsewhere, he ran up three to one, almost four to one in some of those uh, districts in 2016. And those districts, like you said, that it depends on where your margin is, not where your energy is. It's where your margin is. Take a look is. at Powhatan. Powhatan might cast, I don't know, 10,000 votes. And Rico do way over that, but you'll carry power ten, three to one. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to get a nice margin out of there that mm -hmm. can easily cover a close vote. So he needs that. Now, is there any evidence? And they were all Trump Brad voters. Mm -hmm. Okay, is there any evidence that they're going to go for the anti-Trump candidate? No, I don't see any. So. You know, Brett doesn't have probably the greatest constituent service. My understanding is he doesn't like to do town halls. He's a little bit cerebral. He tends to pride himself on being only one of nine people to vote for something in the Congress. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing wears kind of thin. But if it gets into a Trump versus non-Trump vote in that district, in that part of the district, might be enough to save him. But he's not raising a lot of money. And... He doesn't seem to be worried. Maybe he yeah. is. Yeah. And the Democrats are hungry in that district. They've. When's the last time they've won that district? Probably not since the Byrd Democratic days. It's been a long time, a very long time, because what uh, Tom Biley held it before Kanner did, and he, I, I don't know how many years he held that seat, but it just it strikes me that 
Democrat, the the 7th District is on the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. They've targeted it. They should. I mean, it's certainly something to look at because this is like rare. And it's partially, I think, that Brad hasn't been aggressive in a lot of his stuff. He hasn't really tried to do anything. He has been comfortable being part of that conservative freedom caucus of 40 people. Yeah. And even when they decide, even when some of those conservatives decide, well, I think we got to go with the yeah. mainstream, yeah. Brett's there, nope, as the purist. And a lot of people like that. That's what they want. They want somebody who's going to stand up there on principle uh, and, and say no, even if that's you're the only one saying no. But in, in politics doesn't care about your principles. It cares about whether you can win. Well, I mean, it's good to have it. Sure. You've got to have principles, but you've got to be able to win. But you also have to show people I've been there for X amount of years. I've taken a stand. If no one's listening, you know, hey, if no one's buying your dog food <laughs> after a while. And so I think Pratt, he's reached a point where he made a lot of promises. He knocked off a big shot. Now he's got to deliver. He's got to deliver. And and he hasn't. And the Republicans are probably not going to do much between now and the end of the congressional session. You know, Congress doesn't work all that much to begin with. Because Congress, uh, well, the National Republican Committees, they're going to probably spend most of their money in Virginia on Barbara Comstock's rights in the 10th district. Which is hopeless, I think. I'm not 100% sure of that. Uh, but, but that's because it's an expensive media market. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think in, her, in 2016, she raised something like over $5 million. And I think in 2014, what was it? $11 million were spent in that race? Well, I mean, that, that's the, you know, the most expensive media market in the state. And you got to buy it, even though your voters are, uh, they don't have that many. So your your cost per voter is astronomical. You're gonna, yeah, you're going to reach a lot of people but, in PG. But you know, right now, the, the Democratic female candidates are strong, female vote. Very strong, um, uh, really anti-Trump. Um, could that change? Sure, but in the districts we're talking about, particularly a suburban uh, female voter, they seem to be on fire to send Trump a message. So uh, I think Comstock's got a heck of a problem. Well, she's going to, if nothing else, she's going to have an expensive race. And she's got to get past Shaq Hill first in the primary. Now, Who's to say that's going to happen? Well, he doesn't have a lot of money, but she is going out and attacking him, which is reminiscent Unusual. of what Cantor did to Brat. Right. You may not know who the guy is, but if she starts expending substantial resources, suddenly everybody's going to know who he is. It's a little unusual tactic for, uh, for an incumbent, uh, and therefore it always makes you wonder what the heck's going on. It tells me that she's scared. I think that's a fair assumption. She's not looking at polls saying she's going to get 70%. That's for sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> if she was, well, yeah, because Cantor's pollster is not working in that race as far as I know. So Probably, probably not working anywhere. <laughs> but, so, but I come back to it that somebody like Brett, he's going to need outside help. If and he's I, willing to accept it, Norm, I mean, some, you know, uh, some people just know too much to need any help. Uh, that's that. Yes, that is true. And, you know, that doesn't talk about the money that they're probably going to have to spend down in the Tidewater and the second district. It's um, another tough one for them to hold because that's a little more of a uh, of a swingy district. That district has swung in the past. And so they got to be worried about holding that. The Republicans have you know, they've got a lot of fingers and a lot of leaky dams. 
<laughs> and, and do they have enough fingers? I don't know. Well, they got toes, too. You know, toes, too. Well, yeah. yeah. But even though, do they have enough toes and fingers? Well, I don't know. Well, or, or they can use at least rolls of pennies. That, that helps, too. And, you know, folks, if you want to join the conversation, you can call us 804-454-1366. Let us know what you think about the Brat race, about the 5th District race, even about Barbara Comstock's race, if you're, uh, if you're uh, deeply invested in that one, too. But I think in general, if were the vote to happen today, who do you? How do you think the congressional delegation would shape after after the votes were counted? I think you know. I think Brat might survive because of the rural vote. Enough there, assuming it turns out. Yeah. I just don't see how Comstock can make it, and I think the Republicans will lose uh, the Tidewater seat. <clears throat> you think they'll lose that seat? Today, today, before the before the really get rolling on the general election. Well, you know, when you finally get to the general and the dynamics do change, and people, you know, by then they'll have some judgment on the economy, and that should help. Uh, the unknown to me is how Trump is going to shape the election and shape people's minds on what the election's about, and um, I think they would ideally like to shape it on impeachment, <laughs> which. I don't get that. I get it as a way to motivate some people to get to the polls, but that's just not going to happen. If you, want to, if you want to rally the Republican base, you might have to say, you know, elect the liberal. If you elect the liberals, they're going to th- impeach the president. And that may just—you don't have to like Trump if you're a Republican. You just don't like that particular— You don't like that you brand. You don't like the way to do that. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about this stuff uh here in a little bit. This is Norm Lee and Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW AM and FM. We'll be back. Making radio great again. It's the Lee Brothers on WNTW AM 820 97.7 FM. The answer. And it's, uh, I like this too. Uh, this is Norm Leahy and Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee Brothers uh, today on WNTW uh, you can join us. Please call us. Uh, we'd like to talk to you. It's 804-454-1366. We've been talking about primaries in, uh, in the in the in the 7th District. We talked about the uh, the Republican nominee that's going to be chosen tomorrow in the 5th District. A little bit about Comstock and a little about the Tidewater. I want to switch gears just for, for this segment. I want to talk about the big thing that happened in town last week, and that was when the General Assembly, after years of fighting it, past Medicaid expansion. Now, I thought this was going to happen when I saw the election returns in November. The numbers just added up. Yeah, it's going to happen. And then everything else since then was just kind of for show. But I was still surprised about the people in the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate who voted. I mean, the House sort of caved pretty good. The Republicans in the House didn't put up much of a fight. No, they didn't. And that's a huge change between Bill Howell, who was adamantly against it, and all of his lieutenants were, and Kirk Cox, the new speaker, who seemed to have beat a strategic retreat on the issue. But the Senate didn't get that memo. And the <laughs> Senate put up a long uh, overtime fight to try to stop it. But you had Emmett Hanger, Joe Vogel, Frank Wagner, and Ben Chafin, who were four Republicans, the gang of four there, who voted to expand Medicaid. And I give Emmett Hanger a lot of credit because he was on his feet for most of that debate, answering the questions from the various other members. And he carried the water on that bill. He did do a good job. He carried the water on that bill. But do you think 
Those Republicans will face repercussions in 2019. Remember, 2019, they're on the ballot, all 40 of them. Well, you talk about in a primary. Will they be challenged for the nomination? Yeah, well, they would face, face a challenge. For that matter, we'll ha I'm sure there'll be some in the House. Yeah, I, you know, normally the way you have to look at these things, you have to wait to the election year. There'll be another session of the legislature before the primary. True. And oftentimes that will be much more important than something happened a year ago. The with Presumably those four, if they're facing any kinds of challenges, I think they are, will be aware of that. But Vogel's probably safe. I think her vote was probably unusual. People didn't expect it. So we presume she has something in the package that she can say, well, yeah, but I got something from my this. district. Okay. Chafin, he's the guy with the coal guy. He's, he's sort of been Mr. Cole or that's... Right, right. That's his big thing. That's his thing. And and, um, and he got something. Right. And he got something, as you pointed out, from the from the governor and... That was his cover. Right. And the other reason is a lot of his people actually need a Medicaid expansion and they don't want to say so. So I think he's actually the safest of them all. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Hanger, yeah, you know, but he's he's pretty solid in that dish. People have talked, but he's been there a long time. I think he's hard to take out. Well, he also got out in front of this pretty early right. and telegraphed it. What he was doing. Now, Frank Wagner, that probably caught some people by surprise. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it did, but also because his district is probably the most politically marginal for him. Uh, because Northam won it in 2017, uh, and Trump and Clinton basically split it in 2016. And there's already rumblings about people trying to find a challenger to him in 2019. Now, of course, he did run in, in 2017, tried to get the, uh, the GOP gubernatorial nomination, unsuccessfully, obviously. But, you know, maybe his heart's just not in the Senate anymore. Could be. On the other hand, he's, maybe he's trying to figure out how to stay there, and you got you sort of, okay, I think I need to vote for this. Because it can't be but so much of a principal vote. Let's be honest. You've been against it, against it, against it. All right? So you're weighing, you're weighing at the very end. And um, the, maybe, thing, the thing that got me was uh -huh. during the debate, Mark Obenshane, uh, Senator Mark Obenshane stood up and said this, what we're talking about here is expanding Obamacare. This is Obamacare, Obamacare, Obamacare. And it struck me immediately, they're still, the Republicans are still fighting the last war. Well, that's always, see, going against Obamacare was a successful. Back in the day. It still is. I think if you tell Republicans I'm against Obamacare, they all give you a big applause. <laughs> if you gave it another name, the same, so I think that's helpful. Medicaid expansion, the way it's pitched, it's a little bit more, what is that exactly? As you get more poor people or older people, see, it's a little easier politically. And um, <clears throat> but Wagner, it may lead to a challenge. A, I voted, we're going to challenge it because he voted for Obamacare. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, Wagner's saying, look, if I didn't give in a little, I couldn't get reelected. So what's the difference? Well, if we didn't give in a little... Then next time around, after the 2019 elections, and if Democrats did well, we were going to get full-throated, no-holds-barred 
Medicaid expansion. And, you know, the Republicans got a break when the Supreme Court of Virginia said they wouldn't, didn't have to have those special elections. They upheld the district line because that would have probably enabled the Democrats to take the back the majority in the House before uh, the night 2019 elections. Well, we'll uh, we've got to run off to a break. Uh, this is Norm Leahy and Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee brothers here on WNTW. We'll be back right after this. Kind, compassionate, and tolerant. Oh wait, that's a different show. The Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM. WNTW, The Answer. Yeah, that's our show. We're kind and compassionate. This is Norm Leahy along with Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers here. We've only got a couple minutes in this segment, Paul. Let's talk about what does the governor do now? He won Medicaid expansion. That was his big deal. He ran on it. He got a huge margin. Used his leverage, clearly. Didn't seem to have to give up a whole lot. Big win for uh, Governor Ralph Northam. um, But now what? Well, it's somewhat unusual. You get your big win your first six months. He's certainly going to take a while to work this out. We, yeah. Uh, but he's going to have to come up with something in the next round or the next, and I don't know what it would be. I hope he backs me on my education stuff, but who's to say? Because that's the thing. The Democrats really need a rallying issue in 2019 to get people out because obviously they want to try to take back the Senate, but you can't take back the Senate with nothing. Yeah, they're going to have that. Maybe it'll be clearer in the 20— Look, you're going to have the federal election, see what the Democrats do. If they take back the Congress and if they take back the Senate, the first thing up is going to be, are they going to actually try to impeach President Trump? The <laughs> politics going to be interesting. I mean, right now, the economy's good. There's no mushroom clouds anywhere. A lot of, the, a lot of what was said about Trump— Seems probably a little over the top to some, some independent <laughs> voters. I mean, you know, he's got his thing and certainly a lot of the policies you don't see. But the idea that the republic was going to collapse. Well, um, that was just that was both uh, fever dreams and fancy. I'm talking political. I'm just talking pure politics. Yeah, pure politics. We'll talk about more pure politics after the news. Uh, this is Norman Leahy and Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW AM and FM. We'll be back after the news. Talk to you then. And we're back. This is Norman Leahy. Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers on WNTW. Love to hear from you. The number is 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. I want to switch gears a little bit here, Paul. We're going to get to your uh, your good friend, LeVar Stoney, here uh, in this hour. But I first wanted to, to, you know, about the congressional stuff we've been talking about. This coming Tuesday, there are a number of primaries across the country in which Democrats are hoping to make substantial gains, particularly in California, where they have an unusual system, a top two primary, where everybody, regardless of party, runs on the same primary ballot. The top two vote getters move on to the general election. That has caused them some consternation in certain districts because there are a mob of Democratic candidates running and maybe one or two Republicans, often just one. And uh, Democrats were afraid They'll shut themselves out. They'll cannibalize their own vote. They, Democrats, genuinely need to carry seven or eight seats in California in November to have a chance of winning control of the House of Representatives. Never mind the Senate. That's just the House. Um, 
And from what I've seen too, it's uh, progressives are sort of uh, coming up lame in a lot of these races so far in primaries across the country. They're, they're, uh, I think their batting average is about 300. Great if you're a third baseman. Not so good. You if got you're a good running. arm. If you got a good arm, yeah. Well, you got to have a good arm, but they don't seem to have a good arm because they don't. They're not winning the kinds of races they thought that they bring a lot of noise. They bring a lot of heat. They don't bring a lot of votes. If you're sort of gaming this out uh, between and understanding that there's still a lot of time, do you think it's possible the Democrats get back the House? I do think it's possible. I think it's likely. You think it's likely? Historically, looking at statistics. Now, clearly, the California thing, and I don't claim to understand their system. It's like no other in the in yeah. the country, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, state uh, state can make that choice under the Constitution. We're just going to have to wait and see. Is it possible that they could have set up so many people that you could wind up with two Republicans as the nominee in, in, <laughs> in a Democratic district? I mean, statistically, that's possible, but I just have a hard time thinking it's actually going to happen. Well, and and let's, yeah, that's the important thing you mentioned there is the historical numbers is that traditionally the incumbent president's party loses 20 to 30 seats, a little sometimes less, sometimes more, in the midterm elections. That it doesn't matter what party the president is, it just happens. So... With the margin being, they need what, 24, 25? That's all they need. So it's within the historic margin, you figure, looking at the polls and things like that. It's hard to make the judgment in June. People will do it. You know, Larry Sabalto has his crystal ball. Right. And um, he's always very accurate in June, and maybe it doesn't get that way by November. We're all like that. you got to wait really till late summer early fall before you can really start making some some predictions that you have some confidence in for November. And so well, I'm, yeah. I'm waiting. Yeah, because by then the themes of the races have settled. Uh, major issues have been established. Can't, people generally know who the candidates Everybody's are. Everybody's been elected or nominated. All the yeah. fights are over. The party's got to unite. You get a sense of what's going on. Right. So you're saying that right now is probably too early to tell because there are a lot of people that came out, I think it was early in the year, maybe even late last year, there was a generic Democratic ballot showed them going to walk all over Republicans. Then that narrowed. Then people started to say, well, that was sort of a online poll, self-selection, not worth the paper it's printed on or the uh, pixels it consumed. And basically it settled out, maybe it's about a seven, eight point Generic Democratic ballot advantage nationwide. That doesn't get down to specific districts. And that's where I have problems with these generic ballots that are nationwide because, well, you're not talking about the races here. You're not talking like the fifth where you've got Leslie Cockburn's got to defend a book. That doesn't show up in those polls. That's noise. Right, doesn't show up. And even, even in something like the Brat race where you have a rural uh, and urban split, that doesn't show up in the polls. Have Democrats convinced themselves that they're going to take that they're going to ride a wave. I think the Democrats think they're going to take the Congress. I think they are um, optimistic. I have a reason to be optimistic about things, but maybe the last few uh, weeks or month been a little bit of a wake up call. Well, let me throw this scenario at you: that uh, the Republican uh, Democrats make gains, but they don't get 
control, and Republicans are left with possibly sort of like um, the British are right now, Theresa May, maybe five, six seat majority. I kind of think that's a disaster scenario for Republicans to have a majority that's that thin because it requires tremendous discipline, which they've not shown so far to advance any kind of legislation that might be important to them or the president. Do you think so? What do you think about that? Uh, you know, probably from a purely political point of view at this point, Trump would probably prefer a Democratic Congress. You mean going back to his roots as a Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because right now the Republicans are in charge of everything. So politically, if nothing gets done, it falls on the Republicans' lap. And, the, and for the president to criticize the Congress on stuff, he's got to criticize his own party. And that's difficult. Which he's shown, he's criticized plenty of his own people. Because he sees himself as sort of a third force. And there's some reason for him to think that. Now, Democrats win the Congress. He now can blame all the stuff on the Congress. Number two, his veto pen is the only thing between the Democrats' laws. <laughs> okay, now, you know the Republicans and all kinds of Republicans are going to fear what the Democrats are going to try to pass. Yeah, yeah. Because the Democrats will have very strong unity. Very strong. At least initially. Yes. Because the thing about the Republicans could get, the Democrats can hold strong unity even though they can pass, say, more liberal legislation. Mm. They can go more and more liberal, but they'll hold their base. The Republicans can't do that. They go more and more conservative. They start fracturing their base. So the Democrats can propose stuff that Republicans really don't want and pass it without any Republican vote. So all these... You know, like Mitt Romney and these people, if the Democrats take the Congress, I mean, seriously, he will do anything for Trump. So what you're saying is should Democrats take over Congress? Even because, one, I think it's good for Trump. I, I've Ironically. Al I'm already of the opinion that should he decide to run again, and I don't know if he will. He's, he said he is, but we'll see. That he's already at, at worst a 50-50 chance of winning re-election. If you look at it statistically, I was over it a few months ago. He won a lot of states double digits. Yes. And no reason to think he's going to lose those states. Um, obviously, his, his, his margin of victory was in states that were close. Uh, Very close. Okay. But he knows what he has to defend. Hillary won a couple of states close. But there's maybe only seven, eight, nine states that are actually switchable. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of election that's no reason to, no reason to think it's going to change. So, you know, all everyone who says Trump's a sure loser, I don't see that statistically. I don't either. I don't see it statistically. And I do agree that should Democrats take Congress, I think he then becomes almost a lock for re-election. Well, he certainly can get what he wants the most, which is infrastructure. Well, yeah, remember that? We were going to have infrastructure week. He can't, get, he can't get that through the Republicans, but he can get that past the Democrats. Well, speaking of infrastructure, we've got some stuff to talk about here in hometown, uh, and uh, we'll be uh, talking about that after the break. This is normally in Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee brothers. We'll be back right after this. Zero diversity, complete intolerance, and a total lack of fairness. It's the Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW, The Answer. 
Okay, that's interesting music. Uh, <laughs> this is different. Uh, this is Norm Leahy uh, along with Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee the Brothers. Lee Brothers? No way. No I way. don't think. I don't think they go to raves. I Maybe don't they think, do. I think that was thrown in here because they're not around. I I could see Richard at a rave though. You, you know? could. I could. As security. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not as a raver per se. I was going to say. <laughs> not as a raver per se. Maybe Scott is a DJ. I don't know. But uh, anyway, but um, normally and Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee Brothers. Uh, please call us. It's 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. During the break, Paul, you and I were talking because you had just seen the uh, the news about uh, the, the summit with the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, and the president is back on. Yeah, back it's on. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. They're meeting in Singapore, is that correct? I, I didn't really catch that, but they're back on, I assume, same place that they were going to meet. Yeah, uh, same place. And uh, But that's a big deal. And Very. It's unusual, the structure of the— not Well, everything the president does is a bit unusual, but this more so than others. Given, yeah, this, this really pushes—this violates all the supposed foggy bottom, protocol. you know, foreign affairs. This is not how you do it— uh, Clinton, Obama, the Bushes, probably all the way back to Reagan. Kissinger. Kissinger would say the biggest chip we have with the North Koreans is giving them a personal meeting, yeah. legitimizing them. So the last thing you're going to do is is do that legitimizing unless you got a guaranteed really big deal in your pocket. Right. They may be, but I don't get the sense that 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 that's the way it is. This is this is different. Well, could this be an exercise? Well, obviously the president talks about how he's a great deal maker and whatnot, and you can agree or disagree with that. But it strikes me as a version of personal diplomacy. Oh, I'm not yeah. going to let intermediaries get in the way and say something that I wouldn't say or commit me to something that I want to, don't want to commit to. So by him going and essentially stage managing the whole thing himself, it really it, it, let's face it. This North Korea has been a problem for what? Since 1950. Well, since they went in, <laughs> since they decided to uh, move across the what the 39th the parallel. The 38th parallel. The 38th yeah, it's, parallel. Right. It's, it's been a, it's been a problem since the end of the Second World War. Right. And if the president is able to come through with some sort of revolutionary breakthrough, some sort of agreement, some understanding, even an open and and personal dialogue, that's a big deal. The president's been trying to do this. I assume the Chinese have to be behind this. They're the ones that basically keep the uh, North Koreans from starving. You got the South Koreans. The South Koreans. The South the, Korean president really wants the this. people. I was talking to someone who lived over there a long time. And he says what's not perceived is that this, a lot of the South Koreans have old family, right. they really can, they they see themselves as Koreans. They yeah. would like to get together. They don't like it this way, the people. And that's what their president is. That's why he's so the way he is. Right. This is something he knows his people feel very deeply. They want to be one country. Now, I don't know what North Korea feels because it's so unequal. I mean, yeah. you know, it's kind of like East and West Germany, but even a way worse. Yes. So, you know, how would you do it? It's way in the future. But yeah, if Trump is able to get the, everybody to feel that we're finally on the path to ending all this, he's going to get a lot of applause, and I wouldn't be surprised if they gets nominated and wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Why not? 
Well, yeah, and I, there's a lot of folks uh, I can think in Foggy Bottom, and for that matter, in Manhattan and K Street, who will sneer at that and say, "Well, how can you give the choke on it?" But yeah, like I said, they gave it to Kissinger. <laughs> so I mean, I hate to say it, Swedes, but when you gave it to Henry Kissinger, <laughs> who's who spent six years setting something up to get the deal he could have gotten in 1969 and decided that the price to pay was peace through honor with someone else's blood. I'm sorry. Uh, Nobel Peace Prize, I'm sure it's very important, but um, you lost me at that one. Well, so let's put it this way. The uh, news coming out of the summit just might trump, so to speak, the news coming out of the Virginia primaries that day. It's possible. It's possible, depending upon what happens. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. That's that's the international politics section of the show. We're going to come back to something much more local, which I intended to do in the first place. Uh, after the break, uh, this is normally Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW AM and FM. We'll be back right after this. Kind, compassionate, and tolerant. Oh, wait, that's a different show. The Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM. WNTW, the answer. And this is Norm Leahy, along with Paul Goldman, and we're going to be uh, having a square dance later on in the show. We're filling in. Seriously, who picked all this music? <laughs> that guy right there in the headphone. No way. He did. I think I, I, all we need now is a disco ball. I mean, we need, I mean <laughs> if, no, come if we on. Can, if we come back with Saturday Night Fever, I'm going to break out the, my it. platform shoes. I would think. You know, can, can we do that and then follow? Uh, seriously, and then maybe some Sinatra. <laughs> Just in case we need to get our, you know, lounge singer on. I this is I know we got a short segment here before we go to the news ball, but I want to set this up is that uh, you have been in a bit of a tussle with Stone Brewery over the terminal building that's along the James River Correct. where Stone wants to build. They want to tear it down. They want to tear it down. Can you give us like a 90-second thumbnail of that? Well, to get tens of millions of dollars in taxpayer subsidies, funds, they're going to get free land, all this free building after after certain years of get the building, not having to pay like $25,000 for it. They agreed in return for all that that they would refurbish and renovate the in- intermediate terminal building, which is right down there on the waterfront um, around 3100 East Main Street, which is right there on the, on the, on the James River waterfront. And... Um, they maintained they were going to do this for several years. Yeah. And then bingo, they decided that, oh, by the way, we checked it out and all our experts and you know, the foundation's too weak and you can't fix it up and therefore we want it turned down. <coughs> and so they want it torn down because it would, co- otherwise they would have to renovate it. Yes, too and much if, money. And if anybody has watched HGTV... Or my favorite show, Grand Designs. They know that renovation is substantially more expensive than building new. Well, that could be, depending upon what you're going to do. <clears throat> but well, they have a contractual obligation. They do. They have because there's a lot. There's millions of taxpayer dollars hanging in the balance here. And well, we're going to have to get back to this after after the news because we're being hustled out by the music. <laughs> Uh, why does this remind me of Hee Haw? I don't know. I was or say, was or the Benny show. Hill Show. Oh, I love that show. Anyway, the, Norm Lee, Paul Goldman here, filling in for the Lee Brothers. We'll be back on the other side of the news. Talk to you then. 
Lee Brothers, showing off the First Amendment and using the second only when necessary. On AMA 20, 97.7 FM, The Answer. I love this song. I love the movie, The Mighty Wind. I, it's just one of my favorites that there is. This is Norm Leahy, along with Paul Goldman. We're filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW AM and FM. Uh, Paul, before the news, we had just gotten started on um, Stone Brewery, LeVar Stoney, uh, the uh, terminal building, and the machinations involved there. Now, you said that Stone had was... They did some tests. They said there's no rebar in the building. Yeah, they said the rebar, they, was, they said that there was no reinforced concrete. We're sorry. Foundation's weak. And we love to fix up the building, but it's got a weak foundation. So why don't you tear it down? Convenient for them. They have a contractual obligation to fix up the building. They're trying to get out of it. There's the city, instead of standing up for the taxpayers and the voters and saying, no, you got a contractual obligation. If you want to get out of it, what do we get for letting you go? Yeah. They're just rolling over. Oh, they couldn't find this. They couldn't test beforehand. So that thing was rolling along and everybody as usual, the chloroform of conformity was all across the city council. Everybody had was laying on their desk. And so I, I did, of course, what I do, horrible me. I said, why don't we try to find the original construction specs and drawings? Yeah, yeah. Well, people said, well, it's 1937. You can't find them. Okay. I may I asked somebody, a friend of mine, well, you know, they might be at the state library. Yeah. Okay. So I asked them to call and let me know. They called me back and said, yeah, this is the state library. Here's the number you call and order them. So that's how hard it took to find the specs. And by the way, the state library is right across the street from City Hall. From City Hall, yeah. A t really tough thing for the mayor and his people to do. Well, it probably is, you know take time off from the long lunch <laughs> to go over. And, and so the specs show it was bid out as a reinforced concrete building. Right. The drawings show reinforced concrete. Took me forever to get anybody to do a story on it. So they finally did a story today. Uh, I, I, I posted on my Facebook account. This was the dispatch. The yeah, no, they missed a lot of things. But Stone's position is, well, yeah, go. They don't mention my name. That gosh forbid they should talk to the person who actually did yeah, all this. Worked, yeah. So Stone's position is, well, yeah, Goldman's right. There is evidence that there's rebar, the specs, yeah. but there's no proof that they actually did it. <laughs> like, wait a minute. So. The specs say rebar. Yeah. The drawings say rebar. And the, con you, and the contract to build says rebar. And the contract says rebar, but you think they may have not done it? Yeah. That's uh, And so you think the reporter would say, let me find an engineer or an architect who thinks, knows any example where the specs and the drawings demand rebar, it is not done. Well, of course it's okay. It's just possible. It's possible. So why don't they use the test? They say 
Stone Brewery says, well, we're confident in our test. He said, they didn't do the most, the test, the best test. They didn't use the test that structural engineers like to use, uh-huh. which is a coring test. You actually go into the ground and take up a piece of, of one of the columns. There are 50 columns. So you take up one piece and you'll know whether there's rebar or not. Yeah. Instead, they're relying on a test that's done by a non-structural engineer. It's like if you're looking for your grandma's ring at the beach. Well, let me take <laughs> around and see if I can get a cling, a, a thing, you know? Come on, man. Yeah. Using a cat to find well, grandma's ring Well, it's a little better, beach. but if you read their report, they say this penetrating radar we have can only go so far into the ground. Yeah. And it's not always accurate, and it depends on the age of the concrete and everything. Well, I had a structural engineer look at it and told me, well, the thing I would know instantly that where I think the rebar is in the foundation is going to be below where this radar thing can hit. <laughs> it can't get that far. The only thing you could really use is a quarrying, and it does all the time. You think the city at this point? No. You think stone... Says, oh, we can prove there's no rebar in there. Why not do the coring process? Nobody did. What about the reporter? Have you done a coring process? Nothing. It's, oh, Stone says all Goldman has is that is the specs. Like, that's nothing. Oh, the specs just show it there, but that doesn't prove it's actually there. Yeah. Yeah, so... Why does this sound like Richmond, typical Richmond government? It's a sweetheart deal, and who knows who's representing Stone? Who knows all the contracts? You know, this would be like me selling to Stone Brewery. Yeah, I see the specs on your beer. I see those specs. But how do I know it's actually beer? (laughs) (laughs) It's just specs. Well, yeah, but we we did we did. Uh, and what would Stone say? Let's taste the beer. I say let's go taste the concrete. Instead, Same they thing. took a picture of it. Yeah, I could say, well, yeah, I took a picture and then look at the bubbly stuff, and it kind of looks really nice, and it's got a little foam on it. Yeah, it's got to be beer, or or hot green tea. Could be either one. We don't know until you. You actually... would think that the city, which has the right to force Stone, that they would at least check. But, Paul, that assumes the city cares. This is the same people that say we can give Stone 10 or $20 million, but when I make a proposal, what about fix, What about maintaining the schools? I mean, I'm not talking about building a new school now. I'm talking about actually maintaining the crumbling schools you have now. Oh, we don't have any maintenance money. I mean, what is it that makes so many people in the city of Richmond not want to give the kids who are 90% minority, overwhelmingly from poor schools, you have the money. You promised to do this in 1955. Why won't you give a poor kid a modern school and not a junk school? They can't vote. Worse, right. for Richmond, they can't write campaign contributions. They can't, and that's exactly what it is. They can't put on a fundraiser and they won't be able to put on a fundraiser with Stone Brewery with all the beer gardens and the $1,000 contributors. <laughs> you know, remember that song from the 50s? Uh, written, you're too young to vote. Yeah. I'd yeah. like to help your son, but you're too young to vote. Right. Well, oh, you mean, so that's 
going on a loop in the city hall right now? Well, remember what they the last the mayor said when asked why he wouldn't help the kids. Well, they're yes. only 11% of the population. So I guess Stoney it's, and Jones have the same view. It's just a little bit of the population. So your challenge to Stone Brewery, and for that matter, the city, uh, the city. and council, is do a test if do you want to know the truth. Get the truth. I'm not... All I can do is present you the evidence. And if and if it shows that, yeah, back in the 30s, the builders were chiselers. They didn't put any rebar in there. And let's get the money back because we paid them for <laughs> we we paid them for a reinforced concrete building. And and, and all we got was this uh, T-shirt. And what what did they think? Like you said, this was you know built by the mob in New Jersey. <laughs> we're not going to put the we're going to charge him for this for the stuff. Yeah. Put Jimmy Hoffer in there. Yeah, Come yeah, on. the aggregate's extra, man. I mean, oh, he actually wanted us to do it. <laughs> yeah, that it's it's the, the building has stood this I mean, long is just it, a it, good it's fortune. Like, oh, well, we put Jimmy Hoffa's rings and stuff in there. That's the reinforced because reinforced concrete is steel or iron, however you want to describe it technically. Well, yeah, that it'll stand out. So you're you're just calling on them to do their jobs, due diligence. Yeah. I this mean, is what the paperwork says. If you have a contract and someone says we can't do it because we really want to, but the building isn't what you said it would because it's our, it's okay. Then don't you want to check? Because there's some, there's another angle in this about jobs. Isn't there, isn't Stone Brewery, Stone Brewery trying to promise 90 jobs for the brewery. And then when they did the, um, they said phase two, which is the bistro, not a restaurant, a bistro. There'd be another 198 jobs. Okay, now, according to the mayor and city council, if you read the papers, even if we let them tear down the building, which is the third, they promised a 30,000 square foot restaurant. Now they're going to do 12 or 14,000. They're saying it doesn't matter. We're still going to have the same number of jobs. That's what the mayor and city council are saying. But according to Stone's own chief executive, but you know he could have been drinking at the time, let's understand, <laughs> he said, well, if they tear down the building, obviously we have to recalibrate the numbers and see what happens. So maybe they've recalibrated them and they come out the same way. Somebody said to me, well, Paul, you know what they're going to do is they got this beer garden, which would be a garden, and that's going to be a lot of jobs there. Uh -huh. But I'm saying is the beer garden's not going to be open in the winter. <coughs> it's not supposed to be enclosed. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be full-time, 12-month jobs as promised in the beer garden, which is only going to be open seven months out of the year. This isn't California. <laughs> Maybe they got confused and thought it was. Maybe they came here when it was really hot and humid day. And they Maybe thought, that's yeah. the other thing. Solar power. Who knows what they're going to ask for next? Ew. Giant heaters. <laughs> yeah, they want a bass boat, too. I've heard that. But uh, <laughs> this is normally, along with Paul Goldman, we're uh, beating up on the city government because it's fun to do and an old Richmond pastime. We're filling in for the Lee brothers. And we'll be back right after this. Representing the end of political correctness. The Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW. You had to do, I could do, I could do, Roger Miller. You're digging deep. You are really going into that. Whoa. That's going into the vault. I mean, really. Yeah. What's next? Peggy Lee? Serious. What about third? I don't know. What's, you know, how about the first recording from. Yeah. Do you have any. Edison. Yeah. 
Edison singing. Get some of those. Uh, this is Norm Leahy and Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers on WNTW AM and FM. You can please join us. It's 804-454-1366. You know, Paul, I was thinking during the break that, um, all right, you, you've obviously done a lot of digging here. You've probably done more due diligence on this project than certainly the mayor has, uh, the, the city council has. That's Combined. Not, Combined. That's, but that's also not saying much. You're right, damning with faint praise, but I'll take it. I'll take I'll it. I'll take okay. it. But okay, let me do this. Let me do this. As it's it's easy to be a critic. Why don't no, you, it isn't. It's actually hard. It, it, well, no, it's easy. To, it's it's easy to be a bad critic. It's hard to be a good one. That's true. Why don't you put your criticisms on the line and your name on the ballot and challenge one of these guys? Challenge Lavar Stoney for mayor. You mean in 2020? Yeah, why don't you do that? Well, I, I really haven't thought anything about that. Oh, come on. Everybody thinks about that, Paul. I mean, you could do it. Are you afraid you can't raise the money to do that? No, I could raise the money. What about the, what, what is your issue? It's certainly not the, the terminal. The what, what's your big issue? I've been trying for years to get the kids of Richmond school. 85% of the people back me on the schools. The schools are the oldest, worst shape. The mayor and everybody in office, the council, promised to do it. They haven't done it. You saw they just had a meeting of the great education compact, which was promised to come up with the plan. They could even get a quorum. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, they, I think everybody in Richmond knows if you want to actually fix the schools for the kids, keep the city's promise, do what we have to do so we don't have the oldest, most decrepit, intolerable conditions. I think... I think it's pretty clear that I'm the one person in the city they could trust to actually do it. Yeah, I think that's clear. Yeah, but, Paul, there's a big difference between being the guy that is behind the campaign and being the guy that's on the ballot. Especially in Richmond, that it takes <laughs> a lot of money, connections, and unlike, I, I know you're on a lot of people's naughty lists. Am I? Yeah, well, you, because you raise inconvenient questions, and you point out inconvenient facts, and you show people how things actually should be done. Is that the kind of a resume that could actually get you any sort of support? It's a good question. Because I guess what you're saying is, A, you don't know if to you try, and B, do you have an obligation to help these kids? I mean, they need these schools. Everybody said it. Um, you know. Well, yeah, but isn't that why they raised the meals tax? That was supposed to have cured the problem right there, the meals tax. Well, now we realize that even after everything they've done, every, all the hype, the truth is by 2020, if you follow the mayor's plan, 80 or 90% of the kids, minority kids, will be in worse conditions than they are now. That's how deficient all their plans are. I'm talking they'll be worse Buildings older, buildings more decrepit. Forget new buildings. The city, I think the superintendent of schools said we needed like $13 million just to do the basic maintenance on the buildings mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. The mayor gave them a million. <laughs> and the city council voted for it. So, yes, it's really frustrating for someone like me. Remember, I wrote the law. That created the mayor's office. Right. And and it's not being used for the good of the people, certainly not the good of... But... The well, then who, who's, uh, who's, whose benefit is it being used for? Everybody else. The bureaucracy is getting, growing. you got Stone Deal, all these deals. we got more deals coming down. They have spent 
hundreds of millions of dollars that should have been allocated to school maintenance. They said in the 1980s, they had a press conference. We're not using the money for school maintenance. We're going to use it for something else because they needed all these bad projects, so many failed projects. They grow in the bureaucracy. The mayor proposed a budget last year, this year. City council, after six weeks of, of review, did not make one cut. Now think of that. The most important power a legislative body has is appropriation the budget. Mm -hmm. They couldn't find a dime to cut. Now that's outrageous. But there's a new charter change going to affect July 1st. The law that I got passed by the General Assembly, actually Bill Stanley, yeah, the head Bill of the Stanley. committee. Um, and the mayor's supposed to come up and try to come up with a plan, a fully funded plan to modernize the schools. Well, now— See if he does it or not. The mayor has poo-pooed that. Yes, And yes. he has the backing of the local paper, which said that's just a nuisance and that's an unfunded mandate, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the same people who basically supported the, the, the budget policies which created the mess— Oh, and and they've also supported every seems like almost every other boondoggle that's come down that's the pipe. That's right. Every other boondoggle, all the other mayors. I have the honor of being the last person they've called a Yankee <laughs> in a headline on the front page. That was in their morning edition. They called me a Yankee, and uh, they weren't referring to my being for Mickey Mantle, a Yogi Berra, or whatever it was. Well. Maybe in that alternate timeline, you were on that team. <laughs> uh, you ain't got that old Yogi Bear thing going on. <laughs> so, okay, so you're, you're, you're not running, but, you know, if there's a demand for it, if there's a groundswell for it, you might. Should I do the Bill Stanley thing and say I'm available? You may, you may yeah, you do the Bill Stanley thing. Nah, you'll you'll like make Bill, yourself available. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to make myself, it's not like it's I'm going on match.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, let's leave it that way. Paul is available. Uh, Norm um, says he's available. Paul's available. I'm saying Paul is available. And we'll talk more about his availability uh, right after this. Freedom isn't passed through the bloodstream. It's fought for daily. Fight alongside the Lee Brothers on WNTW, AM820, 97.7 FM. The answer. <laughs> Sometimes I, I think we've created a monster ball. I think we've created a we've created a DJ and make it. <laughs> this is Norm Leahy along with Paul Goldman here uh, filling in for the Lee brothers. I, I just want to clear something up. I'm the one that made Paul Goldman available should uh, the time come that he wants to decide to run for mayor. Uh, let me put it this way, Paul. Would you run a what kind of a campaign would you run? Would you go out there, TV ads, bumper stickers, kissing babies? I can't see you doing. You don't that. think I could do that? I don't think you'd want to do that. Well, I haven't thought enough about it, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, I don't know what I'd do. I guess I'd do what I would advise all the other— Or would you run a Warren Harding campaign and campaign from a rocker on the front porch? Listen, that's, that, that has some advantages. It has some—well, yeah. I mean, just go out there, stay silent. I'm more like a Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge, probably. I'd go out, sit on the porch, and have my— Son would whisper into his ear, and my son could say, uh, my father really can't be speaking much today, but basically he said that if you elect him, he'll finally do what's been promised for 64 years and get these poor kids a, a, a modern school. Oh, and he does like sarsaparilla. And so. <laughs> uh, you want to bring him some sarsaparilla, and, 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 and he'll, he'll pay for it himself, stop the, 
Stock the refrigerator <laughs> in the mayor's office, take out all the wine, put in some sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take you up on that, Paul. Uh, this is Norm Blahey, <laughs> Paul Goldman, Philly in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW AM and FM. We'll be back after the news. Talk to you then. All right, we're back. Norm Leahy with Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW. We've got the old Lee Brothers funk going back on again. That's good. That's good. It's good. It's a good intro. I like it. Uh, Paul, before we, I want to, uh, let's leave uh, LeVar Stoney's pummeled corpse off to the side of the road. <laughs> and um, meanwhile, we'll start printing bumper stickers for your nascent uh, mayoral campaign. Uh, somebody will draft you, Paul, so be ready. But uh, if, I, What's that thing? If nominated, I won't it, serve. Or if elected, oh. Nominated, I won't run. If elected, I won't serve. Yeah, which is another way of saying you're running. Well, that's General Sherman, though, but he is a good Southern boy. He's not supposed to quote General Sherman, you know. Well, yeah, but nobody believes that stuff anymore. If you deny, deny. It's like the Bill Stelly thing. I'm making myself available, sailor, um, if you want to choose me. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, you know. I don't get that. Uh, uh, anyway, but I wanted to uh, shift gears again. I want to talk about um, the big numbers that came out this morning were about uh, the unemployment figures, and, they, and the unemployment fell to 3.9%. Lowest it's been in 18 years. Right. Interestingly enough, what happened 18 years ago? Well, the dot-com bubble cracked, right. and everything sort of cascaded down from there. But, and we talked a little bit about this during the news break. If you're a Democratic political strategist, which you have been, mm-hmm. you look at those numbers, and you're a challenger. You're the, you're the out party. How do you make an argument that you need change when you've got a strong economy like that? And I'll point out, too, just to gild the lily some more, I think it was a couple weeks ago, the Gallup poll uh, came out, something like two-thirds of respondents said, it's easier now to find a good job than it's been in, I think, the numbers went back 17 years. How do you fight back against that? I mean, normally, if you were looking at a normal circumstance, you saw these numbers— and you're the out party, in other words, the party that doesn't control the presidency, in this case, anything in Congress, you would be worried. Do you, you think they're have, worried? Are they worried enough? No, because uh, so far, all the anti-Trump stuff is trumping everything. Well, yeah, and do you think that by, <clears throat> let's face it, they've been anti-Trump since 2015. After a while, you can only stand on your chair screaming with your hair on fire for so long before people think, well, yeah, okay, what else you got? I think, I think what people see if you're, is that there's a lot of people who are, the number of independent, persuadable voters has dropped. Yes. And so, in a way, folks feel everything is sort of just turnout. So it doesn't really matter what any of these normal normative numbers are. Because people are just determined to vote one way or the other, and they're not going to be affected by things which might normally have happened. But yeah, I think normally, if you had an economy pumping along, and the president was out there having a big foreign policy success, assuming he has it in North Korea, and the election is five or six months away, if you're the out party, you'd be nervous well, let me put it this way. I uh, was looking at a primary, Democratic primary race in Florida. Alan Grayson, remember him? He's trying to come back to the House seat that right. he lost when he decided to run unsuccessfully to the, for the Senate. The guy holds it uh, now, uh, Soto, 
is running with, uh, because he's the incumbent, he's running with official Democratic support. One of Grayson's attack lines against the incumbent, member of his own party, is that he's not sufficiently anti-Trump and is not supporting an impeachment right. thing. That strikes me as not a very, very good strategy, uh, particularly for a general election. Well, he's trying to get a primary, and 90% of the Democrats want Trump impeached. So I understand his, understand what he's trying to say. But if you make that in the primary, how do you tack to the middle after that? There's, there's no, you're on the edge. Well, you have a difficult problem, and you're going to have to hope that the— that district is not going to reject you just because that's at your position. I think most people by the end of by November will assume that if a Demo- you know, if I vote for the Democratic candidate, I'm voting to impeach Trump. I mean, I, that's what I think. Do you a think lot of, they really think that? I think that's what will happen by the end because Trump's going to make it. That you have Trump's already signal how he's going to do it, and you know, once Trump starts saying that at the end, and the Republicans start saying that. But it might change. So far, the Republicans have really pushed their economy. They haven't really pushed the economy. And they haven't had a foreign policy success. Trump has stepped on a lot of the stuff because he keeps making it about himself. You got the tariff. You got a lot of things which he don't have to have. Yeah. They make talks about the wall and the immigration. I'm not saying those aren't big issues to his base. And they are. But in terms of the voters in the middle— they may not be as important. Historically, the economy has been the big issue. Well, yeah, ultimately, that's what will drive, especially a midterm election. How, how, how am I doing? And, and so, but that right now is not playing. Now, maybe a couple, maybe another month of real growth. But you got the so much pointing towards strong economics. Now, the Democrats can say, and, and I think accurately so, you know, Trump didn't come in and do all this. A lot of this was baked over time. Obama had to work through a terrible situation. But Trump's in the chair now, and that's the way it goes. He's it. If people are just starting to sense something, they're not going to say it's Obama. They're going to say, well, Trump must have done something in the last year. So Trump's got a big, big thing here, but he doesn't necessarily know how to play it. Is it something that he can learn how to play? Oh, yeah. I mean, Trump's obviously he knows how to play stuff. He doesn't strike me as the guy, though, that, that plays political strategy very much. Well, I think he's more politically lets on. Question is, does he have a learning curve? <laughs> I mean, he has a yeah. way of doing stuff. You know, <laughs> most people in politics or everything else, they keep doing it till it does stops working. Right. And Trump's been elected president. And everybody's been telling him it ain't going to work for the last 15 months. So 16. So he may not be able to uh, change. You know, consultants or people could say, look, if you want to max it out, Mr. President, politically, this is how you should start talking. He may not want to do that. Let me put it this way. If we're sitting here in November stipulating that anything can happen between now and then and Democrats do not make the gains they hope to make which is, in effect, for them, a huge loss. I think they would see it that way, yes. How did, how do they regroup, and can they regroup? Sure. The question of, remember, you got the presidential primary starting in 2019. Oh, God. That's right. <laughs> and so, if the Democrats fall short of what they feel, um, there are two ways they can go. They can go further 
left, if you want to call it that, further in the populist. The problem was we weren't enough anti-Trump. We weren't enough. Or they could go the other way and say, you know, <clears throat> maybe we got to tack more towards the middle. Do you think Bernie's people want to hear that? No. They don't want to hear that? No. Why should they? Of course they don't want to hear that. And so if, uh, let's make the assumption that Democrats fall short, and I kind of, I'm, I can be convinced of that. Well, I'm not yet. I Well, but I, I'm not totally, but I can be convinced of it. I think it sets up a Democratic bloodbath in the presidential primary. Could, uh, but, you know, maybe maybe it's necessary. You know, I think the political parties are undergoing some potential fundamental, some changes. Yes, they I are. Don't, I don't think our system makes it hard for a third party to emerge. Yes. There have been historically regional, there have been regional issues which have led the populists, for instance. That was basically a Western party. It can happen. I don't see that happening here. You know, um, so the parties, two parties pretty much got to adjust. Well, and and we got to adjust too because we got to take a break. <clears throat> we'll, we'll pick this up after the break. This is Norm Lee and Paul Goldman. Uh, give us a call, 804-454-1366. Tell us what you think. We'll be back right after this. Scott and Richard Lee, the Circus Clowns of Talk Radio on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW, The Answer. What? Oh my God! I feel like we should be going to the uh, the buffet at uh, Sizzler. <laughs> I thought we cured him of this. I guess not. As long as as long as the next break doesn't come out with Donna he, Summer. If he, he fooled me with their opening, he was just playing possum. He had this stuff already queued up. Well, it, maybe next it's going to be ABBA. I don't know. As long as we don't have Dancing Queen to <laughs> go out on, I'm okay. This is Norm Lee along with Paul Goldman. By the way, we are the, probably the trained seals of radio, not the uh, <laughs> circus clowns, but. Um, one of the things that we were talking about during the break, Paul, was, or at least I was bringing up, was if you're a Democrat and you keep moving left and you think that's the way to go uh, to get the nomination for president, how do you tack back to the middle? And you, you don't think there's really a middle left? Well, that would be your argument. There's no middle. I think there's always a middle. The middle is being redefined. There has to be a middle if you have a two-party system. If you go to a third party, fourth party you don't necessarily have to have a middle. Um, but because you have two parties, people have to, uh, they have two major parties, by definition, there'd be a lot of people solid, but the, uh, also a lot of people saying, well, you know, and they'll switch a little bit depending upon how the parties are. I think there'll always be a middle, but in a primary, uh, it's a different electorate. Is yeah, there a middle in the primary? Well, that, that may not be much of a middle in a Democratic primary. Although what we're seeing so far is like I mentioned before, progressives are not doing too well in Democratic primaries. Um, I would say that if the Democrats don't do well, they fall below expectations. There's going to be a tremendous amount of angst and new and uh, certainly Pelosi and Schumer are going to really feel a, gra a, a lot of heat. The younger people are going to say time for the old guard to leave. Yeah. And um, it's going to be very interesting. You got Warren and you got uh, um, uh, Sanders, who yeah. are in their 70s, yeah. and be talking about the old guards got to leave. Right. And, um, but they're really not talking an age thing. Age really, you know, this is America. We have a, we're not supposed to believe in those kinds of non-merit 
qualifications. Age itself uh, doesn't mean anything, and I happen to agree with that. But I do think you're coming to some enough of changes, demographics, people living longer, the economy. You could see the Democratic Party just decide, look, we're going to go with a new generation of leadership who's, who raised differently, different outlooks. But that means that the current generation has to be willing to let go, and I don't see that. No, that's going to be a fight. Nobody's going to let go. It's going to be a fight. Uh, yeah, and uh, speaking of, what about Republicans? They're going to have to, assuming they maintain control, they have to choose a new speaker. And, you know, they've got Steve Scalise, and they've got uh, Jim Jordan talking about things. It's They really have a... Jordan can't get elected speaker. There's we, a lot of conservative types that want him, though. I understand. But Scalise is, you know, you don't like to say it, but the fact of the matter is, you know, he was shot, came back, great story, awfully hard to deny him speakership after that kind of uh, ordeal. Do you think, because I tend to think this is true, that Republicans are maybe possibly becoming a little more pragmatic in their approach, not only to candidates, but to what they can achieve. Well, you know, so much is going to depend on how the election comes out, because Trump's the president, and Trump's, there's going to be a lot of voting on Trump. So let's assume the Republicans don't, they hold on in the age of Trump. Mm -hmm. Well, clearly, the, for that to happen, the public has to be a little bit more positive towards the president. I mean, from what we know in terms of historic statistics. True. In order to, for, the, for the Republicans to hold on here, the president's approval rating is going to have to probably go up some. And um, if that happens, then by definition, the public's happy and they're voting for his party. The Democrats who have basically said never Trump in a lot of people's minds, well, you know, they suffer for having said Trump don't work and he does. So these things tend to take care of themselves, at which point, you know, Trump will have a smaller majority in the party. He'll be more powerful in one sense because he'd be running if he runs for re-election. If he's a lame duck, that changes a lot of things. Right. So we're not going to know that. But, you know, right now, the Republicans don't know whether they can really get behind Trump and win. The polls have said they couldn't for months. Now a little less certain. Let's see what they say come July and August. Because it's one thing that I have seen. Um, I, I can't even remember where I read it now, I apologize, is that in the age of Trump, what we have is the old norms of the Republican Party are being rewritten. It's no longer so much a, a party that likes free trade, uh, it likes fair trade. It is not one that's interested in projecting power, it's in <clears throat> reining back power. Um, it's not certainly not interested in cutting budgets. They like taxing uh, cuts, but budget cuts, not so much. Correct. Are the old, is, can, I tend to think this might be true, that the party that, that elected Reagan twice is done. Well, the, the, the Reagan's position and the party's position was that government was the problem, not the solution. Correct. Now, whether Trump has moved that off them, I don't know. Certainly, deficits, that's different. Trade policies, different. 
But of course, if you have an economy that's still good and it keeps the same trade policies, what's your argument? Projection of power, yes. But no one's, you're not facing the Russian threat. Things are different. So to some extent, the Republican policies of the past really don't apply to the current situation. So they have to adjust. Well, we have to adjust too, Paul. We have to uh, go break again. Uh, this is Norm Leahy, Paul Goldman, filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW. We'll be back right after that. Making radio great again. It's the Lee Brothers on WNTW, AMA 20, 97.7 FM, The Answer. <laughs> beach, the Beach Boys. All right, I can live with that. As long as you're Brian Wilson. So what are we talking, the 50s? Yeah, 60s? Could, could be early. Yeah, before I was born. Anyway, Norm Leahy, Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW. Uh, we got a short segment here before we get to the news, Paul. Uh, one quick hit here. I don't know if you've seen this, but the president has been pardoning a few people. Yeah, he has. And he's been going outside the normal process where things have to come up and be recommended and vetted and screened through the Justice Department. He's just been sort of bring out the stamp and saying, you're clear. Is that going to cause any long-term problems? I mean, you could misfire, but technically the power, the president, you know, the pardoning power, the commutation power of the president is, is unrestricted. Can't be reviewed. We saw that when Clinton gave that pardon to the guy Rich. Mark Rich, yeah. Mark Rich, uh, you know, uh, outrageous. Even Eric Holder, the attorney general, wasn't happy with that. But so presidents can do stuff. Yeah, I guess Trump talked about Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart, yep, she's on um, deck. And uh, but that would be a commutator with something. And Belajevich. Magoyevich. Magoyevich. He never. Sh I mean, that was ridiculous. I'm sorry. I agree with Roland Burris, who took his place. I know Roland. No. Well, I'm sorry that that didn't make any sense. Well, we'll get back to the uh, pardons and whatnot after the news. Normally, Paul Goldman sitting in for the Lee brothers here on WNTW. We'll be back after the news. Zero diversity, complete intolerance, and a total lack of fairness. It's the Lee Brothers on AMA 20, 97.7 FM, WNTW, The Answer. Somebody wants Yeah, I'd like to consider myself tolerant and mildly diverse. Okay, that's that's good, I guess. Yeah, I'm not too diverse. Oh. You know, I I, I I I will admit to owning two pairs of khakis. So, okay. anyway, Norm Leahy, Paul Goldman, sitting in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW. Uh, Paul, I mentioned to you during the break, Samantha B, oh, which had consumed way too many brain cells of too many Americans. Who is she again? I don't even know what network she's on, but apparently she apologized for attacking Ivanka Trump in words that we cannot say on the radio because this is a family oh, show. We could, we could say him on there. Well, who could say him on the radio? Howard Stern? Well, uh, yes, but he's on satellite, so that's different. But she, let's just say one of the words was feckless, and which is a good SAT word. It just makes me wonder, are we expending way too much time, way too much energy, worrying about what these nitwits say about anything? I think the stupidity... It's not even stupidity. It's inane. Yeah, I mean, uh, who cares what her opinion is on anything? You know, if she wants to say something, she could say something. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, all these, who are these people? 
Because she's on the radio, because someone gives her a contract. No, she's on TV. Well, whatever she is, that shows you how much I know about it. The, <laughs> po- the, the, the basic point is just because they get a contract and they can talk and they have an opinion, that doesn't mean their opinion is worth any damn thing. Why don't we just try to get people in those slots who may actually have done something? Useful? So, something useful, even something unuseful. But something besides they just can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But You mean yeah. like us? That's yeah, true. <laughs> you know, we, 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 yeah. Maybe we should invite her on our show. Absolutely. But I, I would like to think that, eh, she can apologize. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one thing, and I've tried to tell this to other people too, is, is not to pay attention to the noise, because there's a lot of noise, and there's a lot of people paying attention to the wrong things. It's like a magic act. Right. The magician always wants to distract your attention from what he's actually doing. And in this case, we have um, a president, for example, who's running one of the most aggressive and successful deregulatory programs ever. He makes Reagan look like an amateur. He's remaking the federal judiciary um, with Mitch McConnell's help. They're accelerating judges through. That is going to have decades of effects. And yet people are more concerned with Kim Kardashian being in the White House. I just don't understand how stupid things have gotten, that we can't pay attention to what's actually happening that matters. It's true. Have we become that dumb? Is there something in the water? No, I think it's, I really do. It's I the think, bottled water, isn't it? Well, it could be the bottled water, <laughs> and I, I guess I've drink. I've, whatever, I have a whole bottle, so I'm obviously, yeah. whatever, you can't trust anything I say, even though it says pure life water. Um <laughs> But the but the, uh, the the bottom line is, economy's good. There's no real fear of war. This is an unusual period in world history, when you think about it, the history of the world. So people are just you know, hey, well everybody's living longer than they ever thought they lived, living better, except for the people we're trying to help. But so many more people from diverse backgrounds have it so much better than all the other people that have walked the earth or most of the other people that we just, this is like, you know, when uh, this is, when things are good, you go out and you splurge. Oh, I, yeah, I'm going to buy that. I'm going to do that. When things are good, you just don't think. So, yeah, we have all these people. Let them talk. What the heck? It's so, all part of the goodness. So outrage is a luxury. How, come on, let her talk. Is she really hurting anything? I got money in my pocket. I can go down the street. What the hell? What should I really care what she's talking about? Well, because another way to look at that is that when things are bad, when, when people are feeling the pinch economically, personally, whatever you want to talk about it, that's when they pay much more attention and hold their politicians much more accountable. Uh, it's something you told me some time ago that... We are in a string right now of three consecutive two-term presidents. It's only happened once before. The era of good feelings, which was when? 1801 18, to 1826? Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. Yeah. Go back to 1800, 1820, someone. Right. And yet, we seem to be, well, not everybody, certainly. At least the people who are turned into politics are more edgy, angry, agitated. Than they've been in a long time. Certainly different than the era of good feelings. And people practically didn't even vote then. There really there wasn't really popular democracy. Well, yeah, and they fought duels, too. So if they you had a, a beef with somebody, That's you... That's why there were so few voters. They took care of the people that way. <laughs> yeah, but think about it. 
for all of the supposed angst we have, you know, there's there's the the alleged resistance, the um, riots here, that there. Even compared to the '60s, we're very calm. There are no campuses on fire. Right. There are no uh, kids getting their uh, heads cracked in the streets, let alone shot. There are bad things happening, sure, but compared to what it could be, we're doing pretty good. For most people, you know, we that is the truth. That's why the economy and all these things. And so, as we were talking about earlier, by a lot of the matrix parameters that you use, you ask yourself, why are the Republicans in the Congress in such worry? Economy's good. Nothing happened in the world. Yeah, the president's doing this, that, and the other thing, but generally it's cause and effect. Okay, what exactly? All right, so, but who, so who are really pushing it? The suburban women? Yeah. They feel that Trump's not recognizing them. They're, they tend to be a very accomplished uh, individuals um, who um, feel like they've had a fight and have had for the women's rights very hard over 30, 40 years. Their parents, they want to, and, and they don't feel they're, they're appropriately appreciated by this president and by the, uh, certainly by the Republican Party. So they're rebelling against the Republican Party. Suburban women are the ones that saved George Bush in 2004. And, mm. and um, that suburban votes really helped uh, suburban women, Barack Obama. They're a very key swing vote. Uh, that's why the Democrats do well in, in, in Fairfax, Fair, you know, Fairfax. Mm-hmm. And so they're on fire. Young people... A lot of the young people feel that the, the society's not what they want. Clearly, you've got the minority community complaining about, hey, our kids can't get decent schools, this is stuff. So there's a lot of people <coughs> on fire, and, it's, and that's why the Democrats feel good, because they've tended to be Democratic constituencies. But the, but the reasons for the fire are not, don't compare to what they used to be. Well, you did have a war in the 60s. You had the Vietnam War. We still have a low-key war going on now. We still have troops overseas. Yeah, but that was a draft. Remember, they drafted people in the 1960s. Oh, yeah, that was a draft that was different. Now now it's a professional army. So we're removed from that. Where, you know, people were doing... And so they're different. Things are different. You were still not that far from World War II. The communists were still a threat. We were fighting there in Vietnam to stop the spread of communism, which today sounds like what? Vietnam's a trading partner. Huh? What we spread of communism? What's that? I mean, you know, people under 30 don't even, what is communism? You live in a commune or something? They don't know (laughs) what it means. So that's what's going on. You got the internet, you got, the world has just changed dramatically and the politics is start. Maybe you could say the politics, which tends to be a lagging indicator, because politicians want to be popular. Yes. So they're trying to figure out, uh, do I want to step out on this? Can I afford to wait to see which way the parade is going? So since it's a lagging indicator, it's in theory still catching up to the changes. So potentially we could be on the cusp of a fundamental change. I think you certainly have the possibility that, yes, that both parties are going to have to make some major accommodations um, and we shall see. Now, the Democrats are getting rid of their superdelegates. Yes. And therefore, and the presidential politics, as we know, plays a big role in defining a party. Well, if they get away their superdelegates and it's all proportional 
on the vote. And they got five or six candidates that can run and run through Super Tuesday and can run through a third of or, or 40% of the primary season. Was it possible that somebody can actually win a majority or are you going to go to convention and actually need a convention? You mean like the old days when they actually had to vote several times? Well, that could happen. We haven't really had that in a long period of time, have we? It's been a long time. And, you know, you go back and watch on the TV the 1952 and 56 Democratic conventions, watch the 52 Republican conventions and see what TV was in its early age. And you say to yourself, pretty fascinating. So, um and there's some people who think that's a good thing, where you have a convention that actually makes decisions. It said it would be fun to go to, uh, <laughs> and, and it would probably make some fascinating television, but depending upon what the public saw, the party might look a little crazy and, and, and fractured. Well, yeah, but that would take a valuable TV time from Samantha B. And we... <laughs> Well, she'd be one of the commentators. Oh, she probably be, would. She'd be a she'd be a floor reporter, right? She'd have right? her own booth. She'd have her own booth. <laughs> but she wouldn't go to the Republican one for fear of the uh, of the flying she debris. She'd have her own booth then, but she'd be standing outside cursing. Uh, well, yeah, and she seems to be pretty good at that. <laughs> anyway, this is Norm Lay with Paul Goldman here filling in for the Lee Brothers on WNTW. We will be back right after this. Our version of the Federalist Papers, without all that reading. It's the Lee Brothers on WNTW AM 820, 97.7 FM. Oh my goodness. I think we've gotten totally over the edge. This is bound to happen in the last hour of the show. I hope he has a good health care plan because he's going to need it. (laughs) He's going to need it. All the psychiatric help. Norm Leahy, Paul (laughs) Goldman filling in for the Lee Brothers here on WNTW. In the last segment, Paul been talking about the relative stability of things here, but I want to talk about man who is whose stability has always been in question. That's Steve Bannon. Currently, he's in Rome helping the Italian populace. Was for- he trying to elect the Pope or something? No, he's a t- trying to help the Italian populace uh, run their new government. They've been asked to form a government there. Uh, so, what could possibly go wrong? But he has uh, a an RX for the Republicans running in the midterms. He says that instead of talking about the tax cuts and how healthy the economy is. They have to nationalize the election. It says it's going to be an emotional election. You're either with Nancy Pelosi or you're with Donald Trump. And that Trump's second presidential race is on November 6th of this year. Uh, He's also said you need to go out there and beat the immigration drum very hard because it's about sovereignty and jobs. And that if this is followed, not only will Republicans triumph, but they will sap support from Bernie and company in 2020. Uh, Given Mr. Bannon's history, he did help the president craft a successful message in 2016. How much is open for debate? Mr. Bannon will say all of it. Is it wise to try to nationalize a midterm election? If you're the in-party. Normally, you're... What's interesting to me is he has this belief that somehow his form of whatever he politics, that he can somehow draft the Bernie, that somehow the Bernie people and Bannon have a common interest that they can join together. Yeah, they both criticize the establishment, Mm -hmm. but from entirely different points on the board. Right. But Bannon has this thing that he thinks he can get them. Well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Bernie's people are not 
Bannon people, and Bannon's people are not Bernie's people. So if he thinks he can create this kind of new coalition of some anti-establishment, that's just, I mean, seriously, that's, that's naive. Now, in terms of nationalizing election, well, if your issues are the good ones, that yeah. could be a good thing. Yeah, but he's saying they, they need to ditch the tax cut that they passed. They need to ditch talking about the strong economy, and they need to talk about these other issues. Well, because his whole populism is based on people, bad times. Trump's, remember, Trump talked about how bad things was when he ran, not how good things were. Right, we needed to make America great again. Okay, well, Trump's now thinking, hey, I'm making it great again. So he doesn't want the same message. Normally, when you run for Congress, you don't, if you don't, you try to run with your district. I mean, that's part of your advantage if you're an incumbent. You're supposed to know your district, have pockets of support. You don't want to run on something that's going to play in California and Alabama at the same time, if in fact you have it. That's what he wants. That's a very simplistic short. It's great for somebody to sit down and say, I can run all 435 campaigns on my iPad. Let's <laughs> do, this is immigration day. And the next day is, but Trump, the tax cuts are a means to an end. Mm -hmm. They're not an end in itself. Mm-hmm. So people can be unhappy or not overjoyed with the tax cuts, but f but at the same time say, well, you know, I guess these things must have all somehow helped the economy. And I like that. So you got to understand, you know, the ends and the means. And yeah, just talking about the tax cuts without mentioning the economy doesn't make any sense to people. Because what he seems to want to do is to ditch everything that they've done that's seemingly right. But they promised that they would do. His whole thing is the dark side. Well, Things true. are falling apart. That's the economy. Throw, I mean, throw out the McConnell. Throw out everybody. And there's always a market for that. And, well, sure there is in the Republican Party. He's trying to re-be, you know, sounds like he's running for president on his own. Uh, uh, maybe. I wish him luck. Certainly <laughs> uh, the Italians could use a little bit of it. Hopefully he won't wreck the economy there, but... Uh, that's already been done for him. Uh, all right, okay, so fine, he can't do any worse. Yeah, you can't. He's actually in the best place of all possible worlds. He can't get any worse. Actually, it could get worse. They could totally fall apart, but they're already in a, in a, in a mess, and they have been for as long as I can remember. I, I would just tell him, you know, the Italian girls are really nice, but I ditched the trench coat and the beard <laughs> and everything else, dude, and I stop all this and... You know, you'll do fine. You're an American that's well-known. But if you insist on being the, the Darth Vader, yeah, I think you could be eaten alone a lot, dude. Yeah, Gregory Peck plays a lot better in Rome than Darth Vader. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, we know uh, that's a nice... You're, you're not going to get Audrey Hepburn by running around in a black yeah, maybe cloak. Maybe he doesn't want it. You maybe know. you are. I don't know. Who knows? But, I mean, <laughs> Bannon... There's a reason why he was let go. And now we can see it. He's got basically, he's, his thing has one gear. He can't adjust, doesn't matter the road conditions or what it is. Yeah, He's got I, one gear. And I think it's reverse. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this is Normally and Paul Goldman filling in for the Lee brothers. We got, uh, we'll wrap it up. Right after this. Want to help Richard prove Scott's wrong once and for all? Call the Lee Brothers at 454-1366. 454-1366. Yeah, Richard doesn't need any help proving Scott wrong. All I got to do is look at himself in the mirror and he'll he'll see his the error of his ways. 
Paul, I appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. Filling in, sharing your wisdom. Uh, it was good to uh, be able to, to be asked to fill in once again, to take up some airtime, share some of the things that we think we know with people. It's always uh, a challenge to fill three hours of airtime, but between the two of us, you know, this is like the phone calls we have. They just go on and on and on. <laughs> Eventually, we come to something that uh, uh, vaguely resembles a conclusion, and so it is with here. But ultimately, uh, I want to get you down on this one last thing. Uh, you say the Democrats are going to take back the House? I think, yeah, that'd be my bet right now. What about the president? What about the presidency? 2020, make a bit big, 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 big one. I think it's uncertain. I think you, know, you can't get to 2020 until you go through 2019, and that's going to play a big role. 2019 is also an election here in Virginia, and we'll have to see if the momentum that Democrats built in 2017 still has legs. That's going to be a tall order. I think if the Democrats, you know, the better they do in 2018, the more pressure on them in 2019. And I agree. And therefore, you know, generally, after a big win, it's hard to keep it going. After a big win, it is extraordinarily hard to keep it going, especially when it seems like you've already achieved what yes. you set out to set out to achieve. And now what do you do next? Well, the governor Northam's going to really have to come up with something that strikes people as... Uh, yeah, we need the Democrats. Yeah, he's going to need a big because idea. Because they lost, you know, with the Supreme Court okaying the 11 districts. Um, that means the Democrats lost their chance to take over the House before 2019. And so now they have almost, well, over a year to wait to see what happens. And that's a long time in polit politics. That's practically right. a lifetime. Anyway, Paul, thanks again right. for coming. Really appreciate it. This is Norm Leahy. Uh, we've been filling in for the Lee Brothers. Today. They'll be back next week. And folks, have fun out there. It's hot. Stay hydrated. Have a great weekend. And thank you. My friends, we did it. We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger. We made the city freer. And we left her in good hands. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. And so, bye. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America.